Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where our desire is to find meaning and mission in following Jesus. God designed us to thrive in the context of community, and we would love to have you join us for a weekend service soon in Vancouver. Today's message is from our current sermon series in the book of Joshua, God Before Us. In this study, we will learn some helpful truths from God fulfilling His promise to the children of Israel, and how through following Jesus, we too can experience a life of promise and blessing. And I'm glad to get back into the Word with you today. So we're in Joshua chapter number 2 as we started a new series last week. And uh, today... Uh, we're going to move just another step forward, and the book of Joshua, as we talked about last week, is really a turning point uh, in the history of, of the children of Israel. Remember, for some 40 years now, they've been wandering in the wilderness. They had been uh, really out of the will of God. Uh, Moses, though, as we saw in Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 1, Moses had passed away. He was the original leader, the one who had brought them from Egypt. He has now passed away in the mantle of leadership has been passed on to a guy by the name of Joshua, a man who was born a slave in Egypt. Think about that. That was his history. That's where he came from. He was born a slave. He was a servant and a minister to Joshua. But now here he is, the leader of two million cantankerous people who've been in a wilderness. A generation has passed them by. And now they're at the very edge, about to head into the land that God had promised to their forefathers. Now last week we saw how God established a very unique pattern with the children of Israel and Joshua in particular where God came to Joshua and he said all right now's the time to move forward and so he said let's get up remember he says it's time to rise up and we're going to go into the land that I will give you and he promised Joshua that day that everywhere that his foot would go and and all of the land that God had promised his people God was going to fulfill that promise to them and so he encouraged Joshua to be strong and to be courageous and then Joshua we saw turn to the people right and he said to the people I want you to get up and he encouraged them then to be strong and to follow in faith and then we saw the people respond in such a great way as they uh, uh, supported Joshua and encouraged him and now they're poised and now they're ready to head into the promised land. Of course, what we saw last week is for us as a church, the way that we're approaching this passage is that Joshua is our Old Testament picture of Jesus. Even their names are the same. And how we as believers, as we follow Jesus into the land that he's given to us, into that abundant life that he wants for each of us, as we follow him and we pursue him, we'll find encouragement and strength as well. Well, today we're going to continue and we're going to go to chapter number two chapter number two now last week ended I mean we were on fire last week right we were ready to go last week we're ready to go to the promised land and and you would think that chapter two would all of a sudden you know be and then they rose up and flew over the Jordan River you think it would just be this incredible story but there's a bit of a detour that takes place sort of a a pause if you want to call it that that we see in chapter two in chapter 2, though, is no less incredible because in this chapter, we are going to see a story about espionage. Now, how many of you like spy movies? Oh, man, I love spy movies. I like, you know, and so, okay, we're going to talk about that today. I won't even get into it. There's going to be some danger today. There's going to be some nail-biting moments. What's going to happen? And it's going to be an exciting time of seeing this story unfold, but the big picture that you're going to see is how the mercy and the grace of God connects with a person who seemingly is unlikely. A woman by the name of Rahab, it, that scripture says actually more than one time was a prostitute. A prostitute. And it, and it gives us that illustration of her life, but then we see how God used her in a very unlikely and special way in the life of Israel. Now the story begins with Joshua finding himself in a bit of a situation. Remember, God had come and spoken to him and uh, he had showed him 
um, exactly what was to happen, but God did not give him any specifics. And so we see Israel at this time, they're in this place uh, called Shittim, uh, Beth Peor is the, sort of that whole region. And so all of Israel is gathered here. And we see that in between them and the city of Jericho is the Jordan River. So we know that they're going to head in that direction specifically, but God had not given to him any uh, special instructions. He had not said, all right, now I need you to uh, make sure you do this and that, and this is how it's going to happen. God had just said, I'm going to give you this land. And then he left it at that. And so Joshua being uh, the military leader that God had uh, uh, obviously created him to be uh, decided that well it's time for us to do something now the reason he knew that he needed to do something is because Israel had actually found themselves here previously in their generation in Numbers chapter number 25, it tells us the story of how the children of Israel were in this exact same region, uh, facing the Jordan River and the city of Jericho, and yet while they were in this area, they had turned to false idols and become uh, essentially involved in pagan worship, and God had to judge them for that. And so Joshua, though, because he was there during that first time, understood that there was a city just across the river that was called Jericho. Now, this is a bit of an artist's rendition of what Jericho would have looked like at that time. This is based off of archaeological finds that have been dug up. And it was a city that was well fortified. As you can see, there's two walls, in fact. There's an outer wall and then an inner wall uh, for protection. This is a, a model that you see even as you watch uh, even some movies today. You see that oftentimes uh, depicted in castles in different places, multiple levels of of defense and so Jericho was a city like that and and in those days this was almost unheard of I think sometimes we think like man every city was walled but this is one of what uh, archaeological archaeological people <laughs> believe <laughs> I'm still kind of sick I'm a hard time with that today uh, what they believe is one of the oldest walled cities or known uh, uh, places that was a walled city in all of the world and so it was a heavily fortified place it would have been very unique for Israel it would have been something that was out of the ordinary for them to face and Joshua knew that something had to be done and so the military mind that he was decided to send out some spies now, he did not send out 12 spies like we know about in a previous time where Moses sent out 12 spies. But what he did send out is he sent out two spies for a reconnaissance mission of the land. And specifically, he told them, I want you to go to Jericho and I want you to figure out what was going on. Jericho, like I said, was a formidable city. And so in the absence of any divine direction, Joshua used what was at his disposal and he sent these two spies. They're unnamed. And to this day, they're unnamed to protect their identity. You notice that's not even in Scripture. <laughs> to protect their identity is unnamed. So the mystery still is till today as to who these men were. But he sends them over the Jordan River. And uh, now, now the question that some people bring up in this is, well, where was Joshua's faith, right? God had just said, get up, cross the river, and just go for it. Where was his faith in all this? What, you know, was he showing a lack of faith by sending spies to, to check out the land? I, I don't believe that he was showing a lack of faith. I think he was showing his responsibility. Again, last week we talked about the idea of God's sovereignty and our responsibility and how those two things go together. He knew that God was going to provide, but he was also going to make sure that he made the right decisions and he led the people in the best possible way. And so he sent them over there to spy out the land. And you know, that whole principle of responsibility uh, applies to our spiritual lives today. You got to think about it. How many times have we said in church, hey, you got to know your enemy, right? You got to know the way that Satan attacks you. You need to even know yourself, where you're prone to attacks. We, we need to be wise about it and not just blindly walk through life. If God has given us uh, resources and a mind at our disposal to understand the enemy and to understand what we're facing, then we should follow that. And so that's what he's doing. He's sending some spies. He's, he, he's, he's being wise in this, and it's strategic for him 
in the plan that he was going to put into play to take over the promised land there in the land of Canaan. And so he sends these spies out, and when they return, they come back with just an incredible story that I think Joshua would have never expected. So today what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the story. We're just going to walk through it together, through all the verses, and at the end of the message, I'm going to give us some thoughts, some spiritual application about what God has for us here. And so it begins with Joshua instructing the spies, but it shifts very quickly from the whole idea of Jericho, and it narrows down to this citizen, this lady named Rahab. So let's look at Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly. Again, we don't know their names. He's protecting their identity. He says, go and view the land, even Jericho. So I want you to look at the land, but specifically I want you to go to Jericho. And they went and they came into an harlot's house. That's another word for prostitute named Rahab and lodged there. Now, uh, immediately when you read this to me, this seems like a rather scandalous commentary on these two men, doesn't it, right? You think like, okay, Joshua says, go spout the land. The first thing they do is go to a hooker's house, right? That's what it looks like. If you just uh, look at it at it face value, like, man, they, I don't know, did you give them extra spending money or what happened here? But that's what it looks like. He just went um, and immediately went to this, this prostitute's house. And they're supposed to be getting recon, but instead they're going to this place. Now, yes, that's what it looks like when you read it, of course, but again, this is where historical background comes into play and understanding things about about, uh, that time even. See, in Canaan in those days, um, typically what would take place, prostitution was a real issue. It was something that was very, very, very common in that day. But oftentimes it would take place in a, a lodging, in a hotel, what you would call it, a guest house, how, whatever you would call it in that day. Today we call it a hotel. And, uh, and often they were housed, as we'll see later on, right in the walls. They're right at the, at the main area. And so it was a common place. It was a, bo- it was a, a place where two men, uh, strange men to the area, could go in and find a place to stay, not necessarily meaning they were going for prostitution, uh, but I think you understand, finding a place to stay. And, and for these spies, it would have been strategic for them if they were trying to stay and fly under the radar, right? A place like this, there was constantly people in and out. It wouldn't have been out of the ordinary for two men to come and to travel in this place and to go and stay here. And so, Excuse me. Many people believe that uh, not only, uh, obviously, she's identified as a prostitute, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but that wouldn't have necessarily been her uh, primary uh, aspect of life. She would have uh, been caring for this uh, hotel or this boarding house as well. And so what we see them is for them going here, uh, and even though for them it might have been strategic to go specifically to this place, uh, the interesting thing about it is that God had already been working in Rahab's heart already. Even though to them they might have thought, hey, if we go into this place, no one's going to ask any questions and no one's going to really wonder. Um, You know, it's a place where other travelers are. There's a lot of information they could find out about the city. Even though they knew all of that, the interesting thing is that God had a plan as well. And it's so funny how life goes. Even in our best laid plans, the things that we think we have all figured out, God is already sometimes doing a work behind the scenes. And that's what we see here in verse number two. So when it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there, uh, there came men in hither uh, tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. Now, I don't know how their cover was blown. I have no idea. But uh, they lasted all of a few hours. <laughs> and they got into the city. Their cover's blown. They're men of Israel. And they're here to check us out. So they knew all what was going on already. And so then the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth men. So they not only knew who they were, they knew where they were. <laughs> 
And they go to her and they say, bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they become to search out all the country. Now, remember, she was raised in Jericho. She's probably from there. And so her king, the one, I don't know if she elected him, but the one that she served there in their city came and he, and he sent people and he said, I want you to give us, give up these men. Verse four says, and the woman took the two men and what, what does that say? Hid them. So she took these guys and rather than turning them over, she went and hid them and said thus, told them, there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. She said to those that came, she says, there's these guys came, but I don't know where they, where they are. Verse number five, it says, uh, here, uh, verse number five, it says, and it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate when it was dark, the men went out. So she's saying to them, I don't know where they went. When the gate was closed, it was dark, they left. <coughs> and whither the when, uh, men went, I want not uh, pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords, uh, which is a little bit farther north up the Jordan River. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. So here we see this situation where they come and they say, where are these guys? She says, I don't know where they are. In fact, she didn't know where they were. They were up hiding on her roof. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, uh, and then she says, I think they went out the gate and I think they went up north towards the fords of the river. They're probably trying to cross back over and get over. And so the men that were seeking them were, ran out the door. They closed the gate and they went to go search for these two spies. So not only was Rahab living a life that necessarily didn't honor the Lord, she's a liar as well. <laughs> you see that there? <laughs> she lied. Now, <laughs> the simple fact is this, is that sometimes when we read this story, and I've had people even bring this story up over times, the, the temptation is to, to see this as a situation where lying is okay. And uh, man, she, she did it to protect right? The men of God. She did it to protect uh, these spies. And, and sometimes we'll look at this and we'll, we'll say, well, then it must be okay in certain circumstances for us to lie. Um, I just want to say that's not okay. <laughs> that's not a, this is not a passage where we do that uh, or really any passage because when you line it up with what the rest of the Word of God says, we understand that lying is a sin and it's wrong for us to lie. Cri Scripture is very clear. And the truth is, is that if it was God's will for uh, God's will to protect these men, then she could have let them in the house and walked them right up onto the roof to where they were hiding, and God still could have protected those men, right? How many times have we seen in Scripture and other places where God blinded someone's eyes, right? Or he, or he allowed someone to hide almost in plain sight. And I mean, God could have uh, very well taken care of them. And, and, and the thing is, is that God does not need you and I to do wrong in order for his right to be accomplished, so that's just a good principle of life. Some people like to bring this up as this moral quandary. Well, she, she lied and deceived in order to see the will of God. Listen, the will of God is going to go forward, okay, regardless of us. And so you have, to, you have to disconnect those two things. Don't try to think that, oh, if, if she hadn't lied, then they would be killed. And then, man, that's it. That's it, for, <laughs> that's it for Israel. No, of course not. God is still in control, and he's over all things. What we see here is Rahab. Uh, simply acting like a sinner would act. Someone who was not guided by the same morals as someone who had been raised around the truth of the one true God. And, and of course, culturally, maybe it was a very common thing for them to, to lie, but she didn't even think for a moment of it. I think the bigger thing that we notice here is that the fact that she's from Jericho, but she was willing to lie to protect these people of God. To protect these people of God. Now, the thing that 
we can see here is that Rahab is going to play a role, a very special role in God's plan to take over this city of Jericho. And God has a very specific purpose for her and something is working and something is happening in her life. And though we look at this story and we say, man, she's a pagan person from a pagan background. She's involved in, in prostitution. I mean, that's how she's identified. Yet we see God still has something very special for her. It reminds me of second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number t- 27 that tells us, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. In other words, uh, God doesn't do things our, our way. And he was already doing a work in this person's life. And uh, he has something, <coughs> I'm sorry, for her to do. And we're going to see that here as the story continues. Because the question that I have certainly is, why, why would she lie like that? <laughs> why didn't she just be like, yep, what up, king? Here, here they are. <laughs> you know, what are you going to give me for them? Is there a reward? Is there a bounty on their heads? Why did she lie? Why did she uh, hide them? Well, look at verse number eight and verse number nine. And before they were laid down, these are the two spies, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. In verse 10, she says, "Uh, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came uh, out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Look at this. Here's her declaration. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. As I read this, some things are starting to make sense to me here. Okay, (laughs) starting to make sense as to why she made the decision that she made. As we learn more about her story, notice uh, how she talks about how the people there in Canaan, the people specifically in Jericho, were living in fear of Israel, not just because of the, the battles they had won, not just because they had heard about the Red Sea, but because of what God had been doing on their behalf. Notice how she said, I have heard how the Lord, she was able to identify that it was God who was the one who was working through the children of Israel. She knew that no mass of former slaves uh, released from uh, their slavery could have accomplished all that they had done on their own. She knew that something else was at force there. Something else was at work and it was God himself of Israel. He is the one who's all powerful and at some point what I believe along the way happened in her heart in her life is that she believed and trusted that he was the one true God, the God of Israel and then that faith alone that she had in him was enough for her to trust him and then of course open the door of salvation just like today what it takes for us to step into a a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is for us simply to open our lives and to open our hearts and to place our faith in the one true God the one who gave up his son so that we could receive eternal life now think about those spies for a moment they're about to lay down and take a rest I don't know if the flax was still covering them but Rahab comes up and As they sit up to talk to her before they go to bed that night, she then just sort of unloads on them and says, I've been believing in your God. (laughs) I've been believing in your God. Man, for those two spies, that must have been pretty awesome. They must have been like, yeah, yeah, awesome. This is amazing. God, you were working in this. We thought we were just going to some hotel, and God was at work already in this person's life. 
But Rahab still has some concerns. She says, listen, uh, uh, I've sent him away. Uh, here's, here's why I believe, and here's why I'm helping you. I believe in your God. I believe that he is the one true God. But what about my family now? She sincerely believed that Israel was going to come and demolish Jericho. And so she had some questions for them. What about her family? How, how could she uh, see them saved? And so she appeals to these men uh, about the attacks that are to come in verse number 12. She says, now, therefore, I pray you, uh, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness. And that's a, a key word I'll explain in just a moment. That ye will also show, show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. And that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She here uh, is talking about her concern for her own family. Of course, she wants them to escape the coming destruction, and she wants to have some sort of a token like she talks about. She's asking for a return of kindness. Uh, like I mentioned, that word kindness uh, is, a, is an Old Testament word that means loyalty. It means a, a steadfast love based upon an unwritten promise. It's like a verbal, a verbal covenant between two people. And she's saying, I've showed you a kindness. I've, I've covenanted with you. Would you now give me a covenant? Would you uh, uh, then uh, give me something that I can hold on to in strength, uh, something I can hold on to with strength? And so the spies, uh, they respond very quickly and they're very decisive. And it's interesting. They use the same kind of covenant language that she uses. Look at verse number 14. And the men answered her, our life for yours. Wow, that's a very powerful statement. Our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, <laughs> if you don't tell anybody our business, uh, then, then we've got something going on here. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. That's the same word, that kindly. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. Verse 16. And she said unto them, get you up to the mountain, uh, to the mountain, uh, lest the pursuers meet you and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned. And afterward, may you go your way. And the men said unto her, we will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household come unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in, in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and, they bound, uh, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. I mean, this is some real cord and dagger stuff. Did you see that there? Oh, that was a good joke, I thought. <laughs> There's some real interesting stuff happening here. There's a lot going on, but the basic idea is that these spies, they instruct her, they say, if you'll get your family all together in this house... And if you put out this scarlet, this red rope out of your window uh, on the wall, right where she had let them out, and they say, if you'll let that thing hang out of your window there when the attack comes, when Israel invades, and whatever it is, they didn't know yet what God was going to do, but whatever it is that God uh, is going to do, and he comes, and, and, uh, and, and the battle comes, anyone that is in the house will be protected. 
they were guaranteeing her. They're saying, we'll tell the army, we'll tell everybody that you're going to be okay and you'll be protected. But if anyone's outside of the house, I can't, I can't vouch for them. And if you tell anyone about what happened here, then our deal is off. <laughs> some of you have deals like that with people. If you tell anybody, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Probably some of you parents with your kids. If you tell anyone at church what, no, okay. I'm just joking. I'm kidding. I hope, I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. But if you, if you, you know, and you have a deal, if you tell anybody, then I mean, the deal's off. You know, and good luck to you because you're not going to be saved. And so that's what they, they said. And then she gave them some instruction. They went to the west. They went the opposite direction which they came in, very spy-like. They went up to the mountains. They waited three days, hid, and then they made their way back around over the Jordan. It would have been another 10 kilometers or so back to the camp and back to Joshua. And so that's what they do. They go and they return then to Joshua. So let's look at verse uh, number uh, 23 now, verse number 23. And uh, verse 23, uh, 22, sorry, and verse uh, number 23. Look what it says. And they went and came unto the mountain. And they went and came unto the mountain and abode there three days, just like she said, until the pursuers were returned. The pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. Look at verse number 24. And they said unto Joshua, truly the Lord, notice that, they're giving him the, uh, the credit. Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land. For even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. You can hear the excitement in their voices as they return to Joshua. I can hear it and they say, listen Joshua, God is going to give us this land. They are terrified. Their knees are knocking. They are scared. They are scared because of what the Lord has done already. And they know that he is going to give us the victory. And they told him this story of Rahab, I'm sure. And they explained everything. He said, guys, you went to a prostitute's house right away. Like, what were you thinking? You know, and they said, they said, we didn't know. We didn't know. We just asked for a place to stay. And, and, you know, they worked through that. And they got through all of it. But in the end, they shared with Joshua what was happening. And I believe at this point, then Joshua really got that confidence that he was desiring. And so he began to make plans and to lead God's people across Jordan and to face that challenge and claiming the promised land. Now, to me, this is an amazing, an amazing testimony of God going before his people. Did you see that in there? Man, God was already at work long before those spies ever crossed that river and headed into Jericho. God was at work far before uh, any plans had been laid. He was at work even before he said to Joshua, it's time to get up and it's time to go. God was already working. And this, uh, for me, is so much more, though, than just an exciting uh, story. It's so much uh, more exciting than, than just what we've read and what we've walked through. The story of Rahab has a real significance to it. And, and I want to take the last few moments of our message today to highlight some key thoughts for us in just a couple of moments that I believe are really, really powerful that we can see here. Some pictures and some types that we see uh, in this story. <coughs> the first thing I want you to notice in your notes there is that we see a sentence of punishment. The sentence of punishment in this passage you know, the Bible tells us very clearly that we are all under a sentence. That we all have a judgment coming. That we have a, a, a difficulty ahead of us. That we are, as Scripture tells us, we are all na by nature sinners. And we are all under the sentence of eternal destruction. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, And you hath he quickened, which means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now that phrase right there tells us and describes us for who we are without God. We are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. It says, Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also uh, we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I want you to notice in ourselves, uh, we, we uh, only pursue after the things of the flesh. We only pursue after things that go against God. We, our desire naturally is towards sin and towards uh, breaking the law of God. And so because of that, notice how he called us there, the children of wrath, the wrath, the punishment, the anger of God was upon us in our sin. And so just as that army of Israel was just across the Jordan and just as Jericho, the people there knew that judgment was coming, we need to take note and recognize that judgment is coming for every single person. You can avoid it as long as you want. You can even avoid it for an entire lifetime, but eventually every single human being is going to stand before God and give an account for our actions and give an account for our rejection of Him. And so we see in this passage here that there's a sentence of punishment, but I also want you to notice that we see God's cord of mercy in this passage. God's cord of mercy. Even though we are facing punishment, even though we are facing the wrath of God, in His mercy, God has given us a cord to put into the window of our lives. And that cord, that scarlet cord that we see pictured here is Jesus Christ himself. Because before the sentence of punishment can be lifted from us, the reason for that wrath has to be removed. And the reason for that wrath, that punishment, is our sin. (coughs) Excuse me. And the only way that our sin can be removed is if the penalty of our sin then is paid. And that's the whole point of the New Testament. (coughs) The whole point of Jesus Christ coming to this earth was for the reason to remove the sin between us and God. There's another way of saying it, and that is that Jesus came to this earth to take the penalty of each of our sins so that those that believe in Jesus Christ do not have to pay that wrath, that that punishment on their own. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse number 2, and then 1 John 4.10, it tells us this. And this is key. Listen to this. It says that he is the, that's a hard word to say, propitiation for our sins. It's talking about Jesus Christ and the word propitiation means the atonement. He is the satisfactory sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is. It says Jesus is the atonement, the sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the what? Say it. The whole world. God loves the entire world, and he wants to be the atonement for the entire world. If he, uh, 1 John chapter 4 continues that where it says, herein is love, meaning if you don't know what love looks like, this is what it is right here. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. See, in our rejection of him and that punishment that is coming to our lives, we, there's really nothing that is there, that's redeemable in any of us. We are sinners. But it says, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, that's that same word again, to be the propitiation for our sins. So we, we didn't love God. It's not natural for us to turn in love to God, but he still loves us. And that's the amazing thing that we see here. See, and on the cross, Jesus received that penalty in full. And the only question that remains is whether or not you and I have availed ourselves of that free gift of salvation, of that cord that, uh, of course, it being read, there's that great symbolism of how he shed his blood for our sins. 
but that cord of salvation for us. That's what it represented uh, for Rahab. See, we have in Jesus the cord that can and will spare us from the wrath of God, just like it was going to spare her and her family from the wrath and the attack of Israel. The question is, is have you believed it? (coughs) Have you believed the word of God? Have you, like Rahab, put your faith and trust in it enough to put it out there and to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? When you do that, the Bible tells us that we can be spared and free from that wrath and find salvation in Jesus Christ. So there we see the sentence of punishment. We see God's cord of mercy as well in this passage. But thirdly, we see a changed life. A changed life. I love this part of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the story. The incredible changed life. See, here's the deal. True faith in Jesus Christ will change you. It will change you. And it can change a person's life drastically, drastically. If we truly put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you cannot continue to live as you lived before him. You cannot live as a child of wrath. See, Rahab, she believed and was spared, and that changed her life. What we know about her going forward is that she left behind her life of prostitution. Praise the Lord. She left it behind. And eventually we know uh, throughout other passages of Scripture that she eventually married uh, an Israelite king. And as far, and what we know from Scripture, and as we study out the genealogies of Jesus Christ himself, we find a name in there, Rahab, who's in the genealogy, the line of the Messiah himself. Now think about that. Think about that. That tells us about the ability for a life to be completely changed. I think knowing that we understand even clearly, more clearly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where he said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we see that picture here in the life of Rahab. See, Rahab's life is a testimony to the life-changing power of faith in God. Like I mentioned earlier in the New Testament, in both occasions, they still reference her as a harlot. They call her Rahab the harlot. It's like her last name. That's what they call her in Scripture. And it's not because they're trying to humiliate her or trying to demean her. I believe it is mentioned in the New Testament, again, to highlight the amazing grace of God in her life. Because they're highlighting that is what she was. But because of Christ, she's no longer that way anymore. And we see the miracle of a changed life, but we also see in our passage the wideness of God's mercy. (coughs) The wideness of God's mercy. These last two really go together. The fact that Rahab the harlot was saved tells us that no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. There's not a single person on this earth that is beyond the grace of God. We must never forget The great mercy of God that allows a sinner to live a new life. To live a completely and totally transformed life. Now, I was thinking about it this morning a little bit as I was finishing up and going over my message. And we could go through the room this morning and I could have you stand up and I could have you describe to me in three words or less who you were before Christ. And I think we'd have a pretty amazing time here. (laughs) Maybe a bit of a shocking time, right? Because I know that in our church family, if we were to do that and you were to stand up and you would say, hey, well, before I was a drug user. Some of you have that testimony. Some of you could stand and say, I wasn't a drug user, but I was a drug seller. (laughs) I made sure that other people had what they needed. I know that there's others in our church that would stand up and say, before Christ, I was hopelessly depressed. 
Before Christ, I was consumed with anger. My life was just bitterness. That's all I was. Some of you could stand and say, before Christ, before I followed him, I was an alcoholic. And I had a life of alcoholism. And many of you could stand and say, I lived a life of sexual immorality. Some would say I was a judgmental, I was prideful, I had the heart of a Pharisee. Some would stand and say that you simply had a self-indulgent mindset and all you cared about was yourself and focusing on yourself. But by the grace and by the mercy of God, you sit here today new and alive in Him. Changed. Changed completely. That doesn't mean that we don't struggle. It doesn't mean that we don't have uh, temptations and difficulty in life. But the fact is, is that you can be free and forgiven to live for the Lord and live in his power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse number 11, the apostle Paul lists all the sins that the church was involved in. (laughs) All the sins that they were involved in. And then he says this, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. I love that passage. To me, that's one of the most powerful phrases in the New Testament. Because you know what he's showing here? He's showing a contrast. He says, these are all the sins <laughs> that you're involved in, immorality and all these things. He says, such were, were some of you. Were some of you. But ye are, say it, washed. <laughs> you are sanctified. That means set apart. You are justified. That means it's, uh, the way to look at justification and justified is that it's just as if you had never sinned. You are washed. You are sanctified. You're set apart for God. You're cleansed in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. What a powerful thought. See, in Christ we are made free. And whether you are a prostitute or a prideful, a privileged person, in God's mercy, you can be forgiven of your sins and you don't have to try and live a life afraid of the future and alone anymore because in Christ we can receive salvation. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life and that's a totally different life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I gotta ask you today, do you need that new life today? Are you here today and... You need freedom from your sin. You need that change that can only come as a result of Jesus Christ. And you've been resisting it and you've been putting it off. Can I ask you, would you please put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today and receive and experience that same new life that Rahab had? You might say, I've done too much wrong in my life. I've hurt too many people. (laughs) I've sinned a whole lot. (laughs) You might even say, uh, Man, there's other people that have sinned so much that it doesn't want me to be, that, that I don't want to be saved because I see the sin in other people. It does not matter what you come from. It does not matter what your background in. I want to tell you, no one is too sinful to be saved. No one is too sinful to be saved. The story is told about a man by the name of John Newton, and you've probably heard this story before. But John Newton was a dirtbag of a man. I don't know how else to put it. He, he was the worst, you know. You have people like that. I mean, he was the worst. He really was. He was a drunk. He was, def- he was called a brawler, meaning he was always looking for a fight, like a legit fight, not just like yelling at each other. I mean, this guy was, a, he, he was, he was, a, he was the worst. And on top of all that, he was a slave trader. Yeah, right, let's add that to it. <laughs> he's a drunk, he's a brawler, and he's a slave trader. But John Newton himself was not outside of the grace of God himself, no matter how terrible of a person he was no matter how many people he put into bondage and killed under his uh, time. He, of course, is more well-known <laughs> for the song that he wrote, though, Amazing Grace. Though he was, I mean, the worst, 
God used him in such an incredible way when he finally turned his life to Christ. And I want to read this, what he wrote, and understanding his background. As a, as a, as a, a captain of a slave trading ship, that was what he did, and he was very good at it in the sense of he had a massive wealth, and he walked away from it all when he came to know Jesus Christ. And he said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Man, he understood who he was. He says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. He says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Man, it's grace that relieved that fear of his life. "'How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed.'" If you are here today and you are without Christ, would today be the hour you first believe? Today. Would today be that day? It is only the power of God that can make a difference in a person's life. And that's what we see in this story. We see God transform radically this woman Rahab, who was in so much into sin, did not know anything about God, and yet God reached out to her, and by his grace, she believed. And church, for those of you that are, that are saved, I want to encourage you with this. I know that sometimes we feel like God can't use us because of our past sin. And sometimes we feel like, well, I, I've done so many wrong things and I've, listen, maybe there's even somebody in your life that you've given up witnessing to because they're so far away from God. Can I encourage you with the story of Rahab today? And just, just be encouraged that there's no one so far away from God that he can't reach him. <laughs> there's no one so far away from God that he can't use them and wash them and sanctify them and justify them and put them in a place of honor in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Think about that. And no matter what you have come from and no matter what things you still struggle with today, God wants to use you and he can use you if you give yourself over to him. And not live in that past, not live in the past. Yes, you once were defined maybe by your sin, but no longer are we defined by it. We are free in Jesus Christ. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for you.